0: And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams. And you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Bet the board. What
1: do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't... Yeah, I don't... I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the
0: day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where
2: I started. I could still pick winners, and i could still make money for all kinds of people back
3: home and why mess up a good thing
0: here's pain insider and todd
1: welcome into the Bet the board podcast powered by betonline.ag college football preview podcast officially in the rearview mirror and we return to our roots nfl football but before we do that want to talk a little fight game. I am your host, Todd Furman, joined as always by the Incomparable Payne Insider. And Payne, wanted to get your high-level look at what we saw transpire Sunday night out here in Las Vegas.
3: Okay. I don't really know. There wasn't much high-level about that fight. It was pretty straightforward. <laughs> I, I, you know, we kind of knew the game plan going in. Connor was going to come out fast. Floyd was going to allow him to come out fast get an idea of what it looked like live but also let him gas himself out a little bit and we saw that strategy play out perfectly after about 3-4 rounds like we said in this podcast last week Floyd would be a little bit more offensive he did that by about round 5 or 6 we really saw fatigue start to set in and Floyd took over the fight it was about as easy as money as you were going to make
1: Well, one last thing I want to ask you uh, on the fight were you surprised at all how low that number did get at a lot of prominent books
3: I will say this, I saw people starting to uh, hit our comment section when the move started to take place Friday. I thought I thought you thought we were going to get a better number come fight night, and it was a simple weight wait approach. There was no way books were going to be able to maintain that number, so people got a little scared like any other market, started pummeling it Friday, and you saw Chasers pummeling it Friday, and it got as high as $7 in some spots, but just... You gotta be patient, you gotta anticipate where money's going to be coming in, and there was just no way books were going to be able to hold that. And we saw a lot of shops dip some into the three dollar mark, but you could have got four dollars, four fifteen, four ten
1: uh right before fight. And I almost felt cheated that I laid, you know, four and a half dollars and five dollars for the majority of my action, but either way, able to cash the ticket and get things off and running. This marks the first official week of our podcast recording schedule. NFL coming to you on Mondays and Thursdays throughout the course of the fall. Week 1 college football edition of the Bet the Board podcast will be with you on Wednesday. And Payne, another major announcement as Bet the Board continues to grow and expand. We're getting into the contest ranks this coming season.
3: Yeah, that should be interesting. Looking forward to that. Uh, What do we want to do in terms of Promoting that? Do we want to give them the goods now, or what do we want to do?
1: I think we can kind of tease it a little bit. I mean, the URL that we have established, bettheboard.footballcontest.com. Encourage all of our loyal listeners to go over there and sign up. Make sure you do read the rules in great detail, some unique stipulations, a prize pool still being discussed uh, by Bet the Board Management uh, at this time. And a lot of that, I think, as we've discussed will indeed hinge on uh, the number of entrants that we get in there into our first foray in the contest rings.
3: You made that sound good. It's basically just us. So whatever we decide, but it's going to be hefty. It's going to come out of our own pocket. Um, it's going to be a free contest. Weekly prizes every single week. And then one big shebang at the end of the year. And then we'll base the structure on how many entrants we have, similar to a poker style. Uh, once we see how many people join... We'll figure out the places that get paid, but it's going to be a hefty prize pool, especially when it's coming from our pocket.
1: And we promised, folks, bet the board expansion was coming this season. We weren't sure exactly which arenas we'd go into, but I know this is a contest idea that you and I have thrown around for quite some time. You know, our opportunity to give back to the loyal listeners that continue to make this one of the most listened to uh, sports betting content, sports betting podcast out there. Uh, and as always, encourage you folks that if you haven't already subscribed to the Bet the Board newsletter, go to the website, bettheboardpodcast.com. Sign up for that. Subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, etc. You'll have all those things delivered right to you. But let's get into NFL football, pain. And I feel like I asked you this question or, at least, or have each of the last three seasons. We get new listeners. They're not always that sure what their takeaways should be. How much emphasis do you put on what we've seen so far in the NFL preseason, and how it could potentially impact uh, our expectations for these teams going forward into the regular season?
3: It's actually a good question. I don't remember you asking that previously. <laughs> I,
1: I feel like I've asked it. I feel like I've asked it every year we go on and we go. Don't overreact. Don't underreact. But you know, there's certain things you have to look for, whether it's coaches, whether it's players. Uh, you know, so I figure I roll the ball out there like a good AAU coach and uh, let you take the ball to the rim as you see fit.
3: No, that's good. I think there's probably, from the old school guys, there's this mentality where it's like, the preseason's meaningless. It it holds absolutely no weight whatsoever. And I, I concur that it doesn't to a certain extent. But one thing we're able to do now in 2017, as we approach 2018, is all the metrics, all the numbers, are a little bit easier to compute, right? You can parse things out much better than you could when you were getting... Box scores from the local newspaper. And so I'll say that to say this, and there's a perfect example, and it's the New York Giants. Last year we talked about them and were ahead of the curve by a long mile. We liked the pieces they implemented and got in the offseason. It's like they got a new piece last year on every unit of the defense, whether it was adding to the defensive line, the linebacker core, the secondary. There was a new piece added, and they really meshed with Spagnola's mentality and philosophy. It was a perfect style fit. So we were saying, this is going to be a fantastic defense. And they ranked the year before, I'm looking at this now, 30th in overall defensive efficiency. So we were able last year to parse out what the ones did versus the ones. And we know defense will, of course, be ahead of offense early in the preseason. But that number one defense for the Giants, that first team defense, didn't allow a single point in the preseason against other ones. And what do you know? All of a sudden, they go from 30th in defensive efficiency. They finished second last year. So we were able to get out ahead of the market on things like that. So now that you're able to parse things out, go ones versus ones, there is some things you can take from the preseason. I think one step further, right, the rookies. You can kind of tell which rookies don't, you know, the moment isn't too big for them. And then you can start to build them into their your yearly projections just a little bit more. This guy, he's clearly going to be a contributor day one. This guy, uh, eh, he looks like he's behind the eight ball a little bit. He's not going to contribute as much. So you can definitely um, obtain some, some information from the preseason.
1: Well, I think it's funny that you mentioned rookies, because of course we did see one franchise name a second-round draft pick their starting quarterback, and we'll get to the Cleveland Browns in a bit. Uh, but I figure everyone in sports media says there's always an East Coast bias. You tell me that people on the West Coast are soft. So we may as well start with the <laughs> AFC. We may as well start with the AFC East uh, as we go division by division, trying to offer you up a few nuggets, talk some win totals, uh, and start with a team whose expected win total this year sits at 12 and a half right now at BetOnline.ag. You do have to lay a dollar and a quarter to go over that number. The Patriots, overwhelming favorites uh, to repeat as division champions as a 1-14 to 14 favorite. Uh, I guess we may as well go ultra-high level. Are the Patriots an unstoppable force in 2017? And we should already be making plans to see them fighting for the Lombardi Trophy yet again this year in Minneapolis.
3: I mean, what's there to say here, you know? I, I didn't say we, hey,
1: yeah. hey, I didn't say we had to say a lot on all these teams. I know there are a lot of teams that we can dig into a bit more. The Patriots, because they are so heavily favored, we should at least discuss them in, in passing, if nothing else.
3: Absolutely, and I will say this. I don't have the metrics right in front of me, and I don't really want to... I, I can't divulge everything, but there is a mindset when it comes to win totals in general. If you blanket bet any team over five wins or less, and you blanket bet any teams under... 10 and wins or more, you're going to be profitable. And so obviously the Patriots fall in here at 12 and a half, and you're saying, you know, I can't possibly go over. And I can't as a professional better, and there's probably going to be professional money on this under. But with this division, I mean, they're headed right back to the playoffs. There's not another coaching quarterback combination you would want to have in a series of elimination games uh, from preparation to that killer instinct. There's not. A better combination ever. So they're getting back to the playoffs. They're going to be successful. I think Edelman obviously a massive blow, but suddenly that Cooks acquisition becomes extremely valuable. And I think congrats to anybody who did their fantasy draft already selected Cooks. Your team just got a massive boost without doing a damn thing. Um, <laughs> you, you know, c- kind of when we put a bow tie on New England, maybe we can complain about their lack of a a natural pass rush. Bill really has to design his balls off, you know, to get pressure on the quarterback. And you look at the film, it's really not pressure from the edge. It's more interior and in fact, unlike obvious passing downs, those ends actually drop into coverage. So, just not a lot of natural pressure from the edges. Maybe that's something that's a concern. Other than that, the one big takeaway here is the schedule. That obviously takes a massive step forward when you look at what they faced last year. It was the easiest schedule of opponent offenses all season. The only quarterback they really faced was Russell Wilson. He goes into New England, hangs 31, and gets a win. But you look at this, and you face Pittsburgh without Ben. You face the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins twice. You sprinkle in a touch of Goff, Kaepernick, Whitehurst, Osweiler, and Simeon, and you can kind of see what I'm talking about here. Certainly, the schedule gets much tougher in 2017-2018.
1: One last thing on the Patriots. We know about their point spread dominance, well chronicled. How much do we think the market adjusts to try and inflate some of those numbers Or should we operate under the mindset until they do, the Patriots are capable of putting together a profitable season despite some of the lofty price tags that might be hung on their individual games?
3: I think it has a similar feel to Alabama, right? You're just not quite sure how high you need to make them and you complete, you kind of just gradually tick it up, tick it up, it's still not enough, it's still not enough. And week one, there's going to be a battle there, obviously. I think there's some professionals that got out ahead and said, listen, this team is going to be absolutely dominant and even though they're priced at 12 and F wins, I'm not sure it's enough. We don't really love Kansas City. And then there's going to be another group, I'm telling you right now, that's going to look at this and say, hey, Kansas City, Andy Reid, they prepare their balls off more than a touchdown opening day without Edelman. Yeah, I'm all for that. So I'm not sure what we see week to week. It has that similar feel to Alabama where the market keeps ticking up. And a lot of times it's just not enough, especially last year, you know, when you just looked at the level of competition and the lack of quarterbacks
1: they were playing. And you mentioned the uh, opening night on Thursday, September 7th. Of course, we will preview uh, that Patriots-Chiefs game along with the rest of the week one slate in great detail coming out of the holiday weekend. Uh, so mark your calendars. A little bit of a unique recording schedule. Set- Tuesday, September 5th, uh, t- as we try and cover all of the NFL games. From the Patriots' pain to a team right in your backyard, the Miami Dolphins. They're 9-1 to to win the AFC East. You look at their win total right now at betonline.ag. 7.5, under minus $1.40. Uh, Deja vu all over again. Cutler reunited with Adam Gase. Where do we go with Miami and what potential ceiling they have with the Mercurial quarterback under center?
3: I'm not really sure how to gauge this team. Uh, Certainly, I can tell you there has been sharp money under. I won't be on the under. And and this is really a tough team, if I'm speaking honestly, for me to gauge. I, I don't think there's anyone that gets better information on the team, it's players, injuries, locker room than me. Uh, You know, we saw this again when me and you were talking about Jay Cutler going to Miami. That was a done deal four days before the rest of the world knew it. And I kid you not, the holdup was Gase worrying about Matt Moore's feelings and needed time to figure out how to tell him he wouldn't be the starter. Uh, But but pass information... They do have a great coach and a willing owner, but just about everybody else in the organization is a liability. Like, literally Adam Gase is propping this franchise up right now. He's doing everything to turn this mess into something positive. So it's it's tough to be all in on this team. Uh, you nailed it. When it comes to Cutler, though, I, I think we're going to get a far different dimension than Tannehill, and I've said this for years about Ryan. His completion percentage is up there. It's a byproduct of not taking risks. Super conservative. Last year, Gase kind of forced him to take more shots, and he finally did. But this offense is is much more suited to Jay Cutler when you factor in a big body target like Devontae Parker, who can go up, get the ball, can also take the top off. Kenny Stills can really stretch the field, and his best quality is creating space for others on the ground and underneath. Jarvis Landry, we know what he is in the slot. You sprinkle in Julius Thomas, who I think gets acclimated back with Gase, a system he likes, a coach he likes. I know many hate Cutler, but I would kind of urge you to pause because Adam Gase will get the best out of him. I think there's a lot to prove here for Cutler. And while he said all the right things in wanting to be a broadcaster, there's a reason he was unemployed. It's not because he was turning down offer after offer. So, you know, I think he's got a little edge to him here. Uh, but I, I want to caution this, and this was my problem last year. I didn't value Gase enough. Um, when you look at Gase, and he can win a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers with a quarterback that's now whiffing at 88-mile-per-hour fastballs in single A, you can't doubt Gase. He always gets more than what's projected or expected from his team. If you probably lined up every single coach, put him on a wall, and you said pick your your head coach of choice, it's Bill Belichick, and then there's likely a debate after that if it's Gase or another guy. He's literally that brilliant. So I'm not not going to fade the sharp guys who went under seven and a half, but I'm certainly not going to be on it. Um, defensively, what, what do you see there? I don't want to take all the thunder here. I, we can kind of go back and forth defensively. That scares me a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think, yeah, you know, we talk about injuries all the time, and the Julian Edelmans of the world, they get all the headlines. There are other teams that have lost key contributors on the offensive side of the ball. But the one thing you've taught me from doing this, especially in regards to the Dolphins, and we try and emphasize it's centers, and it's a lot of time it's cornerbacks. And the Dolphins had a big time loss in their defensive backfield. Are they able to try and replace what we started to see in the progress from Tony Lippett uh, as we talk about their ability to lock down opposing passing attacks?
3: Yeah, no question. Uh, offensive line, still some questions there, but it's it's about this defense. Lip, it's a huge, huge loss. I really think he was about to ascend. The other question is, can they stop the run better? They were dead in uh, yards per attempt allowed last year, nearly five yards a game, and even bigger. On downs, you expect run like first down. They allowed opponents to be successful on over 50% of their rush attempts, which means what? Favorable down and distances on second and third down for the opposing offenses. It appears... Jordan Phillips may lose some snaps beside Sue this year, the kid Gaochao from LSU. He's making waves, so there could be some improvement there. Uh, you also lose uh, Rayquan McMillan. He was slated to be your inside middle linebacker. Yep. He tore his ACL, and then you nailed it, Lip it. He was the converted wide receiver from Michigan State. He's going to be your boundary corner. He is fantastic playing the ball in the air. He was going to have a massive season. The other thing that makes me a little nervous is is I'm not sure what Matt Burke is defensively. The schemes don't look great. I know he's going vanilla in the preseason. Uh, the communication seems to be lacking a little bit. I'm not sure if the players are buying in as much. I told you Vance Joseph was a fantastic defensive mind. I said he's going to be a head coach in two years. I was wrong. It only took a year. <laughs> so, it, it, Yeah, a little, that, bit, little
1: bit ahead of schedule there.
3: That scares the bejeebus out of me there with, with Matt Burke. That's my only thing there. And then the, the other... Miami takes a huge jump in schedule this year. They faced the 24th slate of efficient teams last year. They're going to jump into the top 10 this year, so the schedule gets much tougher as well.
1: And this was a team, as we wrote about uh, on Bet the Board, one of our great authors, you know, talking about the Pythagorean approach to win totals. The Dolphins exceeded expectations, so looking for regression, not out of the realm of possibility. One last thing before we close the book on the Dolphins' pain. Mike Lombardi circulating a rumor that others had shot down that Miami might be shopping Jarvis Landry. Uh, Any truth to that, or should we pay attention to it?
3: Well, this is a contract, and I don't even want to call it dispute, that's kind of been going on for a while now. They obviously want Jarvis there. And it's tough for me to stay neutral, because while I love Jarvis Landry, he's the heart, he's the pulse, he wants to be paid like a top 10 wide receiver. And the reality is, he's a slot guy, he doesn't find the end zone often, and you can't pay him like a top 10 receiver. So that's where this issue is happening. I think the Dolphins have seen from past mistakes, they don't want to wait until the contract is fully up and overpay for guys. If you sign them a little bit early, you give them that insurance of an injury and you end up paying less. Now that said, teams around the league are going to see, hey, a deal isn't quite done here yet. Maybe we can make some offers. The Dolphins would be dumb not to field offers if somebody comes in And I don't want to say the Patriots because that's been the rumored team. And Belichick loves Landry. He's been on record as saying he loves Landry. But if he comes in and says, I'm going to offer you two first rounders, you're going to listen a little bit. I don't know what the going rate is. It's certainly not that. But you could have a team that comes in and and blows your socks off and you have to absolutely listen to all offers.
1: It's, it's interesting to try and see this unfold. You mentioned his ability in the slot. I mean, Julian Edelman, the prime example, the gold standard of slot receivers, not making anything close to what guys on the outside, like an A.J. Green or Julio Jones no. are going to compete. And
3: from Landry's perspective, his first three years in the league, he's got more receptions than anybody in NFL history. So you can see how his side, his agent, says, hey, like we want to get this done. And one thing, Jarvis is a confident dude. Like, it permeates throughout the entire locker room, so he's got no problem testing his abilities. He doesn't think he's going to get hurt. He's going to go out there and says, uh, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll take the gamble here. Let me become a free agent. But the thing with the Dolphins, they do have leverage, right? So he's got this year on his deal. They can tag him next year if they really want. So he's the Dolphins really have leverage here. I mean, they, they can have him for the next two years if they really want him.
1: Let's put it this way. You know, Jarvis may be extremely talented, but in the grand scheme of things amongst Miami wide receiver, he is no Ricky Jarrett.
3: No, there you go. The problem is, though, (laughs) right? You you don't sign a guy like that. What does it say to the rest of the locker room, right? Right. That becomes the issue.
1: Exactly. It creates bigger issues, and you hate to try and create cross-sport parallels, but I almost take what the Houston Astros didn't do at the trade deadline, the message it sent, and how players were so outspoken about it. We know the NFL. Get paid. Try and take as much money as you possibly can. Uh, So it'll be fascinating to see how this thing ultimately unfolds. When we look at the two teams... Picking up the rear in the AFC East, the Bills <laughs> 16 to one to win the division. Their win total six and a half. You do have to lay a dollar and a quarter right now at BetOnline.ag to go under. The Jets a robust 100 to one. Uh, if you think they can catch lightning in a bottle, their win total sits at three and a half over minus 130. When we look at the Bills, paying new coach, new schemes, new faces, uh, and their quarterback position a little bit lean right now. Nathan Peterman apparently the only one on the roster. Uh, not dealing with a concussion uh, at at that particular position.
3: It's going to take a Herculean effort to get the seven wins. It appears the new regime is going in a different direction with a lot of things. It's impossible also to expect Shady McCoy to go anywhere but down after his MVP-like season last year. Uh, The defense, I look at it, and it likely improves scheme-wise. Anytime you can subtract Rob Ryan, that's a positive but they lose their top two corners in Gilmore and Darby. But more than any of that, the offenses they face this season are going to be really, really improved. They go from facing the 29th toughest schedule to a projected top 10 schedule, uh, despite having the Jets on the schedule twice, which the team <laughs> we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, the one thing, and you nailed this in the question, is new system, new language. I mean, the entire coaching staff is different. It's going to take time, especially offensively, it sounds like, Uh, Because they want to go to an outside zone run scheme like we've seen in Denver. That usually requires a different type of lineman. And you can't overhaul an entire unit like that in one offseason. Defensively, you have a coordinator that likes to play a little more zone rather than the blitzing style the Ryans like. So this is a huge transition year. You also have Marcel Darius. Can't seem to keep his nose clean. That will be interesting to monitor. I don't know if they're going to cut him. But they sent him home before the last preseason game for a violation of team rules. He's been suspended. He's been arrested a ton the last four or five years. Um, And and usually when I look at these teams, there's a handful that have signals. I I, kind of like to call them. And, And players seem to tell you what's really happening by their actions. And if you followed the Anquan Bolding signing, he literally took a month looking for better options before ultimately signing with Buffalo. He then gets to Buffalo, spends a week, sees what a giant abortion it currently is, hands back $4 million and decides to retire. To me, that's telling. And so, I know the schedule, you look at the division, there's some opportunity there. I definitely can't go over. I've heard there have been whispers that potentially there's going to be some sharp money over. I, I won't be one of them. I would lean under, but I think there's better bets when we talk about tying up your money for six months.
1: Can you, can you make a case to lean over uh, on the New York Jets and, and how bad this team will appear to be regardless of who starts a quarterback, if it's McCown, if it's Christian Hackenberg, if it's Bryce Petty. I mean, I essentially look at it like, you know, pick your poison uh, and how poorly this season is going to go. But oftentimes, Payne, we see these doom and gloom proclamations. And even as bad as Cleveland has been the last couple of years, we haven't seen a win total this low in quite some time.
3: <laughs> Not now, no. And, and... and... I'm not oh, gonna I wasn't say. gonna.
1: Ma- I wasn't gonna mention the fact it opened at five and a half, and neither of us are holding a ticket under <laughs> five and a half. I didn't want to bring that up right now.
3: I'm not gonna say anything. Everybody in the world doesn't already know, right? The Jets are gonna be bad, and on occasion, the public. And professionals, through completely different paths, end up on the same <laughs> side. <laughs> Here we are. Um, I, I, I can't see how the offense improves by leaps and bounds. They had a below-average slate of opposing defenses phase last year. It's about the same this year. You replaced Fitzpatrick with uh, for McCown. Uh, their twin brothers lost at birth. Um, you know, they did have a ton of injuries last season. Maybe that evens out and helps things. The offensive line doesn't seem improved. They didn't do anything to add a pass rush to their defense. Their secondary was bad. They did add some safety help. There question questions still at corner. Uh, I'm certainly not going under 3-3.5, three, three but whoever went under 5-5.5, five, five and, and my feeling is there were, were many of you. Um, and without speaking to Mason yet, I would think there's some serious liability for books, and they'll actually be rooting for Jets victories uh, this season. But again, you can't protect, you can't get pressure, you don't have a QB, you don't have many weapons, Um, and one thing we saw just in the third preseason game, if your offense isn't at least capable, it's going to make your defense look worse than it actually is. Put you in bad spots, force you to play more snaps, wear down as the season goes on, and ultimately, uh, there are some guys in that Jet defense that have some quit in them, so... That's going to be interesting to monitor if the Jets' defense just In, says.
1: <coughs> In, Indianapolis this. Colts game. <coughs> Indianapolis yeah. Colts game.
3: Yeah. So that'll be interesting to monitor. Uh, I'm certainly not doing anything at, at the current number. And man, I'm an idiot for not going under five and a half.
1: Oh, uh, I, I've gotten a litany of texts from people going, I have a free money line parlay leg every single week to try and fade the Jets. So you mentioning books, needing your to root for them, <laughs> not, on, not only to cover numbers, but to win games outright. Uh, will definitely be a thorn in their side. From the AFC East with a clear-cut front runner to another division that, at least on paper, has a clear-cut front runner. The odds, obviously, not as lopsided in the AFC North. But rather than start with the Steelers at the top, Payne, uh, I want to go from the bottom up with teams that I think are a little bit more fascinating as we try and figure out what they're going to meet from a betting value perspective. And that's the Cleveland Browns at 25-1 to 1 to win the division. I'm not going to say they're going to get to that point. Their win total, 4.5 over under... I mean, you do have to lay a price of minus a dollar fifty at betonline.ag. 27th quarterback, Deshaun Kaiser that will start a game for the Cleveland Browns franchise since they moved back in 1999. First things first, do you think Hugh made the right call going with the signal caller out of Notre Dame in his rookie campaign?
3: I think so. You have to, right? You have to see what he has, the way the salary cap's designed, throw him in there. Uh, we've seen a lot of teams that have success It's because their quarterback is still on that rookie deal. So you throw him into the fire, see what he's got, and hopefully you strike lightning in a bottle. I will say this. If we treated every team in the NFL like a stock and assessed the price, the Browns organization would be one of the lowest priced, right? Uh, And I think I'd be very bullish overall on what that stock looks like two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, because I do think they're doing things the right way. Way uh, in terms of this year, you know, I think the analytical minds with with Cleveland were doing nothing more than kind of posturing to potentially flip Osweiler for more assets. I, I really believe that snag an extra sixth or seventh or a depth player. Uh, right, they had a ton of cap space, so effectively they bought draft picks for cash. Brock just happened to come with the draft picks from Houston, so I don't believe for a second. That Deshaun wasn't going to be the guy. I don't believe for a second that a, a six for eighteen effort with an interception against the Bucks is what convinced Hugh Jackson to hand Kaiser the keys to the car. Um, I mean, you do
1: read some you do read some of the recaps though, and people have said it was one of the best six for eighteen games they've seen during the NFL preseason. So, and that is I mean, and
3: that is exactly the freaking greatest lead-in because I'm not sure what Deshaun Kaiser is. He has every single tool imaginable, right? The size, the height, the frame. Uh, The arm. He looks fantastic getting off the bus. It doesn't seem to translate to the field. You put the film on, and he misses easy targets. He forces things. He doesn't scan the entire field. And and I'll go back to what one scout said. He's in love with the idea of being a quarterback, not actually being a quarterback and what it takes to be a good one. He has some Hollywood in him. If you flip on the tape last year, despite being 6'4", 245, and, and yes, we see him running downhill... He has no problems taking a shot, but when he's in the pocket, he appears to be deathly afraid at times. And so I said this to Brady Quinn uh, on radio one time, he looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. And and what I meant, (laughs) there was a game last year where he was 0 for 9 with pressure. He's ducking out of throws. He refuses to step in the pocket, take a shot and deliver. He's bailing on throws. It was brutal how scared he played from the pocket, and you can tell he's got a little bit of some happy feet. Now, I want to preference this. Aside from Adam Gase, Hugh Jackson is probably the second best young quarterback whisperer in the NFL. Every step of the way, he's improved quarterbacks and done well with bad ones. You can go back to 2011 when he was the Raiders. He goes 8-8, eight and eight, and it was a trio of Jason Campbell, Kyle Bowler, and, and Palmer sprinkled in the biggest swing we saw in QB plays with Andy Dalton, right? 2015 Hugh Jackson's there. 2016 Hugh Jackson's not. In 15 Dalton throws a touchdown in 6.5% of his passes. Has a passer rating of 106. Adjusted net yards per pass attempt was 8.2 yards. Hugh Jackson leaves. Dalton throws a TD on 3% of his throws last year. Passer rating dips to 91. Yards per pass attempt 6.5. So, to kind of put a bow tie on all this, and specifically on Deshaun Kaiser, he literally has everything going for him, right? Hugh Jackson is his coach. He's in Ohio, not LA, where the lifestyle could be a hindrance. The biggest thing, he's in Ohio and not in LA. Like, there's zero pressure here to be good. If he fails, he becomes just another name on that uh, Browns football jersey we see floating around the internet, as you alluded to. Um, and if the Browns even sniff 500, right, he's like a folk hero. So there's literally no pressure. There's only upside here for for Kaiser. Um
1: uh-uh. And I think you talked about it, though, in Kaiser and what it means to the franchise. Cleveland knows they have nothing to lose. If Kaiser doesn't work out for a one-year experiment, they win three or four games, they end up drafting at the top. We know that the 2018 draft class is going to be deeper with maybe some potential franchise-saving talents there at the quarterback position. So why not see what Kaiser has? I guess the other question I have, when you look at their defense real quick, Payne, and we know about their offensive line, probably one of the units that doesn't get enough credit uh, given some of the Browns' struggles, their ability to run the football— do we think this team defensively can hold up and they're going to try and play, you know, maybe a more of a clock management c- control tempo type of style to keep, the, keep games closer as best they can?
3: Well, that's perfect because uh, I think the defense, again referencing the stock market, is a, is a buy. You know, you finished 30th in overall defensive efficiency last year but from an expectancy measure, they faced the second hardest slate of opponent offenses. This year, they're projected to face the 21st slate of offenses, and then you add in two first-round draft picks. Collins a full year, um, and a great new coordinator in Greg Williams. So, it's a huge arrow up, I think, for the Brownies D. And
1: when we look at the rest of the division, the Bengals right now up at online.ag, plus three and a quarter. Their win total, eight and a half, under minus a dollar and a quarter. The Baltimore Ravens, plus 3.70. Their win total, eight and a half, lay a dollar 45 to go under. And clear to the Bengals dealing with distractions already. Vontaze Berfeck facing a five game suspension. No Pac Man Jones for week one. You look at the Bengals offensively, Andy Dalton, probably the most talented cast of skill position players he's been surrounded by. Joe Mixon, who ultimately I think may end up being a steal in the draft. Say what you will about his off field behavior, his on field talents you can't argue with. AJ Green, Taj Boyd, if he can beat. or I know I can't even no, what's a kid Boyd? I always forget the kid from Pittsburgh, their wide receiver. Tyler Boyd, I believe. Tyler Tyler Boyd. Taj Boyd's a former Clemson quarterback. If he's out there, it's going to be a little bit of a different story. A <laughs> little bit and, decent. And then, yeah, and then, of course, they add John Ross in the draft. But I ask you about this Bengals team. Are they the second best team in the division, like the odds indicate, or are we going to be talking about Marvin Lewis looking for employment at the end of the 2017 season?
3: The whole season's going to come down to the offensive line. You know, can they keep Dalton upright? Um, so he can find what I think and, and you alluded to this is, is the most dynamic group of weapon, weapons in football uh, you got three backs you pick up John Ross to add to A.J. Green Tyler Eifert, Boyd there are weapons everywhere it's also year two in Ken Zampezi's offense which should help but the reality is he's got his work cut out for him I think despite the talent he's going to have to figure out how to get the ball out quick use formations uh, nobody has seen before because there's a lot of versatile players there and they're going to have to operate after the catch. I think the saving grace for the offense could be the schedule, right? They go from facing the six toughest opponent defenses a year ago. That number is going to drop all the way down to 21 based on projection. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can get the ball out quick, yards after catch. That'll be the determinant of the Bengals. Uh, One thing I was doing reading on, though, and it concerns me just a touch, it appears this youth transition has come at the cost of toughness. If you do any reading on the Bengals, much of it um, is about working on the toughness and you go back, watch the Chiefs game. Both lines of scrimmages were thoroughly dominated for the Bengals. Um, But the young guys are also flashing, right? Their first four picks, it looks like, are all going to get serious playing time day one. Uh, There's also part of their schedule I'm looking at right now from week four to nine, they're going to have to take advantage where they see Cleveland, Buffalo, Jacksonville, Possibly a luckless Colts team. You get a bye before you're facing your hated rival in Pittsburgh. They're going to have to make some hay during um, that stretch. So it'll be interesting in terms of the coach. I don't know. I I think it's a combination of them being cheap that they don't want to replace him. But it's also tough to sit here and say, we're going to fire a guy who's made the playoffs five straight times because there's organizations that would die just to make a single playoff. So I think it's a combination of being cheap, but also getting to the playoffs has really, really helped Marv keep his job.
1: There are plenty of fans in Western New York that would do anything, and I mean anything, to try and get their beloved Buffalo Bills into the postseason. Baltimore, obviously you believe what Coach Harbaugh says. He promises that Joe Flacco is going to be out there for the Week 1 game against the Cincinnati Bengals. You look at the laundry list of injuries the Ravens have suffered this offseason, whether it's Kenneth Dixon gone for the year, Gilmore, Zach Orr tries to come back, has to retire. As many as nine players could potentially be down. Now, they did go out this offseason, add some weapons. Danny Wood had cut returns from injury. Jeremy Macklin bolster bolster the receiving core. Uh, I'd like to think at some point in his career, we're going to see Brashad Perryman out there for at least more <laughs> than two snaps in an entire season. And you look at the back end, Brandon Boykin and Brandon Carr defensively. A lot of people, and I'm not sure I want to put myself in that group yet, Payne, so I want your thoughts. I said, this may be one of the best defensive teams we've seen from Baltimore in quite some time, but the pieces that are there offensively, are, are you buying the Ravens or are you concerned that without Joe Flacco at 110% that this team could struggle, especially out of the gates?
3: So I like to kind of provide information both from what's on the field, projections, to what is actually happening in the market. So absolutely there has been sharp under money on the Ravens from a on-field perspective, offensively, it's going to be pretty simple. You have to get more out of Joe Flacco. And you look at this, since he signed the massive deal for $120 million after the Super Bowl, he's been downright bad in, in most metrics. Um, he's got a, the highest cap hit this year of any quarterback, but you look at the last four years, his passer rating was 16th, 24th, 30th, and 32nd. Now he's dealing with a back injury. How healthy is he going to be? Which you nailed it. It's defense. To me this Ravens team and specifically Ozzy Newsome they're aware Flacco can't lead right? So they're getting back to their roots and that's defense. They jump 14 spots in defensive efficiency from 15 to 16th. Uh, they finished 6th last year overall despite facing the 4th toughest slate of offenses. And then in the offseason you bring in Tony Jefferson Brandon Carr to pair with your first 4 draft picks all of which were on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm reading, Jimmy Smith comes out, says he's the healthiest ever. He flat out said this defense is going to be a special unit. So for me, it wouldn't shock if you see them in the season as one of the top two defenses in football, uh, especially when our you know, projections look like they're going to face a middle-of-the-pack offensive schedule rather than the elite one they faced a season ago. Spoke to a bunch of beat writers, spoke to a couple guys close to the team, and they said, this is the fastest defense we've ever covered. And that goes back to the Ray Lewis-led defenses. From a speed perspective, that, it's just lightning. That's up saying that. something. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's that's saying something because I mean, it's it's a franchise that has built its reputation on defenses fast, athletic, uh, and for folks close to the organization to say that uh, should be a sight to be seen when they ultimately take to the field in a couple short weeks. No doubt about it. And from them, from the Ravens' pain, obviously the division front runner, we know about the Steelers, a well-chronicled dominance uh, in this division and the struggles they've had getting that Patriots monkey off their back when it matters most. The offense should be as electric uh, as we've seen, assuming that everybody gets on the same page. You know, Antonio Brown, Lavian Bell, Martavis Bryant returns from suspension. But do we feel like they can just flip the switch? And I guess building on that, We've seen this team, and maybe it's a hallmark of Tomlin, maybe Big Ben deserves some responsibility for it. The last three seasons, they've started extremely slow. Four and five, four and four, three and three. It's not like the Steelers have given themselves a lot of hope to try and get that coveted number one seed and make New England come to them when the games matter most in January.
3: I don't think Tomlin's good enough. And it's tough to say that about a guy who holds a job where only 32 of that job exist in the world. Maybe it's his ego, maybe it's his game plan. You know, the, the game plan against the Patriots last year was horrific. Uh, if you're a young in the secondary, but you decide to sit back in zone and let a team with precision route runners and the greatest QB of all time pick apart 5, 7, 10 yards at a time, it's just dumb. Um, defensively, they're going to need to improve again in the secondary. It's a young unit. They're going to need to grow up quick. I want to say this. I'm not sure you can be too critical of them for the fact they're getting more than what they're paying for defensively, right? Like, you'll get the collection of defenders. They were the second cheapest unit in the NFL last year, so they're getting more than what they're paying for. They did improve as the season went on. We talked about that at great lengths on the podcast, but when they did step up in competition, they did get burnt. I'm reading this. They like what they are seeing out of Cameron Sutton, he was the 94th overall pick, maybe he can help uh, that secondary. The slate of opponent offenses they're going to face is projected to take a hefty drop. And, And one thing we tend to lose focus on is the easiest way of making the playoffs is through your own division. And to me, teams design themselves based on what's within the division. So maybe they see Baltimore, right? With an injured Flacco, he's not playing well. They see Andy Dalton, who doesn't really strike a ton of fear in them. Whatever's going on in Cleveland the last few decades. And so they say, we can roll the dice a little bit on the secondary. Clearly, that's that's probably not conducive to thinking big picture against the Patriots. But Tomlin has an ego. Um, and you kind of hinted at this a little bit right there in your question. We've also talked about it off off air. Uh, while we really like the Steelers, there's a great point to, to cohesion, right? Bell is holding out. He won't be back till September 1st. Martavius Bryant hasn't played in a year. Uh, the offense looks a little bit out of sync in the preseason. All the reports from camp are they're struggling to get everyone on the same page. You look at the schedule, though, fortunately, you can win some games early while working out the kinks. You get Cleveland and Chicago two of the first three weeks. So maybe that's what it takes. A couple weeks to get things going. And then the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team we really love overall gets the freight train moving forward, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's a question of when there will be value in the market. You mentioned those games. Uh, Cleveland and Chicago, both games on the road. I'm sure sportsbooks will be rooting for the Steelers to potentially lose one of those games outright uh, and blow up some of their teaser liability that they'll inevitably have. Uh, from the north to the south where questions abound as far as quarterback play is concerned, the Tennessee Titans, the odds on favorite right now at 3-2. to two. Their over under for wins sits at nine. You do have to lay a dollar and a quarter to go under. I look at the Houston Texans right behind them at plus 175. Their win total, eight and a half under minus a dollar 20. The Colts, the biggest enigma in the entire division, their win total, eight under minus a dollar 35. And of course, the Jaguars picking up the rear seven. Their number at betonline.ag under minus a dollar 40. And Payne, I'm going to give you your choice of who you want to start with and which team you want to try and dissect
3: let's go with the team that's getting a ton of pub, alright? And I think it's important how do I put this? That we're careful with how we present Tennessee, right? Because I don't want confusion. The Titans are 100% improved. This team's 100% better than it was a season ago. You had another weapon early in the draft. You added some secondary help to a unit that was 30th in the NFL allowing 66% of passes to be completed. But this is a market. And the market already tells us they're better, right? The market tells us they're at nine wins. It was five and a half a season ago. The market tells us there are six teams that have loftier win total expectations. That's it, six. So we already know they're improved, right? Like, please stop putting them in your surprise teams of 2017 lists and hitting publish on your blog. Like, it drives me (laughs) nuts. Um, What we need to figure out is if the market has accounted for that improvement enough and when I look at the rest of the division and there's a real life QB battle going on or there was between Bortles and Henny another team is starting Savage and the other team has a right handed quarterback with what appears to be chronic right shoulder issues so the win total may still have some value what scares me and we saw it yesterday a little bit right malarkey
1: oh (laughs) <laughs> you to your hate to your to your credit and you had to eat a little bit of crow last year you said he was ultimately going to be the undoing of this team regardless of how they performed win-wise last year getting to 9 and 7 that you still maintained a lot of skepticism that he's the guy to get the most out of the talent he has on that roster
3: let's call it semi successful for him right and i think a lot of it has to do with the style he's employing and it that style probably wouldn't work in 1920 But the way the NFL is trending, where every defense is going smaller, they have to be able to cover the slot. They have to be able to cover running backs. The rest of the league has gone to small defenses and thus giving his offense somewhat of an edge. I will say this. Malarkey was asked a question the other day about a change of pace running back. And I'm going to paraphrase this. His response was, that's not needed. That's not what we do. And if I were his boss, the GM or the owner of the Titans, it would scare the daylights out of me hearing that, right? We see the most successful team in the NFL over the last 10 to 12 years in the Patriots. They have a slew of pass catching backs. James White has 14 catches and 110 yards in last year's Super Bowl. And when you start to look at this Tennessee offense, they have the opposite mindset. You can see why, and I can't make this up, they were only successful in 14% of running plays on first down. Meanwhile, the NFL average success rate when passing to running backs on first down is 58%. So Tennessee, <laughs> you're looking at them, they play a much stiffer test of run defenses this season. They're going to need Mariota to pass more on first down. So that's what really scares me here. I didn't see it from Mariota yesterday either. There's still issues within his game they're going to face a much tougher test defensively as well. Uh, last year they finished 24th in defensive efficiency. That was against the second easiest slate of offenses. I, you know, for me I can't go over at 9 and there is some 9.5 still out there. I can't, I can't envision them getting to 10. Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't trust malarkey. That's my biggest thing. Don't trust them at all to tie my money up for 6 months. You guys can go over. I'm sure you're going to cash your ticket. There's just so much damn talent there. I can't do it, though.
1: Talent is one thing, but getting everybody on the same page and getting them to play their best abilities remains something very different. I think the Titans will be fascinating to watch. Uh, for a n- number of reasons, when you look at the difference of opinions that are out there, how they'll be priced week in, week out, and I'm sure we'll get a pretty good indication of exactly what this team's upside or downside may be when they start the season at home in a few short weeks against the Oakland Raiders. Houston Texans, you mentioned Tom Savage, one of those quarterbacks in the division, clearly probably just a placeholder for Deshaun Watson, knowing that the Texans had to move the sun, the moon, and the stars to try and get up, get up in the draft and take the Clemson quarterback. Uh, we look at this team defensively. I'd rather start there. Do we think we see a drop-off? I mean, there were some. Ma- there are going to be some major absences in that secondary, or does J.J. Watt coming back full speed kind of neutralize it if they're able to put pressure on the opposing passer? Uh,
3: the positive is defense, no question. J.J. Uh, Watt misses 13 regular season games, yet Houston finishes ninth in defensive efficiency against the six best slate of offenses. So while they do lose those guys you alluded to in the secondary this year, you get Watt back. Um, and I'm looking at this now. And this factors luck into playing both division uh, division games. The offensive schedule face goes from six toughest to the bottom third of the NFL. So I, I think we see a similar performance defensively. Um, again, offensively, what do you think?
1: I mean, for me personally, I think that they're going to go with Savage as long as he doesn't lose football games for them. Um, Coach O'Brien has done it with lesser talents at the quarterback position that I think it's a matter of time before we see Deshaun Watson. But if they start out well, they may only need to score 17 to 20 points a game to win. You're going to try and establish the ground game as best you can. The question is what you're able to pick up there um, and to be able to make things work. I think Deshaun... You know, he is the face of the franchise and will be going forward. Is he going to be ready to adapt to this level right out of the gates? You know, probably not. And I think Texans, you know, there's no rush uh, to get him back in the fold because you mentioned the Titans and you think 9-7, and a very likely outcome. The Texans could start slow and still very much be in the race of the division while Deshaun Watson has a chance to adjust at least in the sidelines and in practice, to what NFL speed looks like. Wouldn't surprise me in the least, though, if he's out there starting quarterback in early November.
3: Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing to monitor here. If Houston starts one and four, not saying they will, but you're at Cincy, at New England, followed by Tennessee and KC. If you start one and four, is that when we see Watson get your feet wet and acclimated in a home environment against the Browns, roll that into uh, a full two weeks of prep? getting number one snaps during the bye, and then you head to Seattle. I don't know. I mean, the positive is, right, they win nine seasons, uh, uh, nine games a season ago, and you got Brock Osweiler and a running game that underachieved. So there's really only one direction for the Texans' offense when you really start to look at these Osweiler metrics. Ooh.
1: (laughs) He's bad. Bad. Uh, Overall. He was bad.
3: He only graded out better. I'm looking at this. now, Better than Goff and Gabbert. And we talk about explosive plays um, more than ever. Brock had a 31 passer rating on deep throws. Second to last overall in passer rating. Third worst in touchdown percentage. 27th in completion percentage. Dead last in yards per pass attempt. I mean, this is replacement player production that was taking snaps under center for for Houston a season ago. So there's only one direction but up for the the Houston offense.
1: A team that Doesn't have a direction to go up, will be the Indianapolis Colts. Should Andrew Luck not be out there? Scott Tolzien, a massive drop-off. And clearly, there's no timetable on Luck's return. The Colts have played this thing very tight to the vest. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Uh, They did undergo a major defensive overhaul. I mean, eight interceptions last year. Eight over the course of a 16-game schedule. And when you don't put pressure on the passer, it doesn't exactly set up well when we look at the Colts, I mean, oddsmakers believe this is a 500 football team. That assumes Andrew Luck's going to be out there without him in the mix. Are we talking about them winning four or five games and picking up the rear in the division?
3: Well, odds makers thought this would be better than a 500 team. It's professionals that think it's going to be a 500 team or, or lower. We're now at eight wins and and really not much needs to be said other than Andrew Luck. You know, uh, the Colts have been saying this wasn't a major concern. Suddenly there's no timetable for return. This is an organization that pissed on our heads and told us it was rain back in 2015. You know, luck is fine. Then January rolls around and, and Andrew is, is under the knife. Uh, Saturday we saw the third preseason game, the game where the starters play. Wh- who do you think is the starter for week one? Uh, Stephen Moore seems to be taking a
1: lot of snaps. He does. I mean, I've just operated under the assumption that it's going to be that's, that's and maybe what I the Colts did too. Try and pull a curveball.
3: Yeah, everyone had been raving about Stephen Morris last year, but yet he couldn't hop Tolzien, and then you know you get the the week three game, and it seems to be Morris taking more snaps. I, I mean, who knows? Um, and when you talk about the Colts, I, I've always maintained this, not just with the Colts, but but other teams. The four most valuable pieces of an NFL organization are quarterback, coach, GM. And center. And Ryan Kelly will be out six to eight weeks with a foot injury. Now, it's good the backup center and the backup QB are kind of getting reps in preseason, so you wouldn't make as big of an adjustment if this was on-the-fly injury. Say, you know, week four, uh, an injury occurs and then you have five, six days to figure out the reshuffling of a line, a new guy calling protections, getting familiar with the exchange, but it's still a massive combination of Kelly and Luck removed from the Colts team, but where this gets worse, it becomes a two-tier drop because your backup center uh, Brian Schwenke is out on the PUP list. Their starting center likely isn't even on the roster right now. They'll maybe pick somebody up that gets cut. Um, You also have your number one overall pick in Penciled in starter Malik Hooker. Defensively, he's bad on the shoulder injury. Hasn't really been able to play. Maybe the defense gets better. You know, I like the new direction. It's clear a different GM and Chris Ballard wants to employ a build the defense through the draft mentality. Uh, six of eight picks were on the defense this year. I don't think it's a one year fix, but you could see the Colts' defense being one of the more improved in the league year over year when you factor in the new approach, the new bodies. And the biggest thing of all, they're projected to face the easiest slate of opponent offenses in the entire NFL, whereas a year ago, It was one of the toughest slates, fifth in football. Um, They do have one of the easiest schedules. That's why I'm not ready to dive over a bad number here, but I can't really do anything with the Colts.
1: (laughs) Can you do anything with the Jacksonville Jaguars and their uncertainty at quarterback? We know Bortles named (sighs) uh, the, the man to assume the reins for yet another season. I mean, can they finally play to their potential on the defensive side? You look at the names out there; you'd expect them to be better. I mean, Doug Marone obviously doesn't feel comfortable with what he has on the he offensive stinks. side. We figure it's going to be a, yeah, I figure it's going to be a steady <laughs> dose of Leonard Fournette. This win total seven at BetOnline.ag. Can they really get to five hundred this season?
3: Well, the expected wins were, were seven last year, right? believe yeah, I, can lo- I, I can expect a lot
1: I can expect a lot of things. And <laughs> anyone who watched the Jaguars week in, week out, knows that expecting that you know hot garbage uh, to get to seven wins was a leap of faith.
3: I certainly want to say, hey, Chad Henney, Blake Bortles, you beat me. You you go get eight wins. <laughs> that's really how I feel about this. It's difficult. You go out
1: there, you show me something.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to be good in this league, regardless of what you have around the quarterback if you don't actually have a quarterback. And I know video surfaced of a couple players bitching about Bortles, and you had Allen Robinson cussing him out after a throw out of bounds. But what a few saw and heard was what transpired a week before. And this is another signal. Bortles was so bad one day, a week prior, he forced Brandon Albert into retirement. I, I, I kid you not. They had a scrimmage uh, a about a week before and Bortles threw five interceptions in the scrimmage and Brandon Elbert immediately retired minutes after that scrimmage. He's like, I can't put my body through this for this and flat out retired because Bortles is horrific. Uh, In addition to not having QB, they also don't have an offensive line as I alluded to. 27th overall in adjusted line yards. 27th in adjusted sack rate. Just about every statistic being monitored for the offensive line. The Jaguars were horrific in. Uh, They do bring in Cam Robinson. He wasn't going to start until Brandon Albert retired. He looked decent in the preseason game against the Patriots. Didn't look good thereafter. So there's a lot to be determined there. Um, You nailed it though. Defensively, if these guys care and they aren't just there for the weather and an early retirement, it could be serious defensively, right? Um, And I don't think the Coughlin style works long-term this day and age like the cracking of the whip. It'll work initially but I'm not sure long-term. But for right now, this could be a top-five defense. They finished 12th in defensive efficiency last year. You bring in A.J. Bouye, grade out the second-best corner. You bring in Clayus Campbell, grade out the second-best interior lineman. So major movements on that side of the ball uh, and when you assess the schedule, they're going to face the third-easiest slate of opponent offenses. So... um there's just a lot to like defensively, but you don't have a quarterback. You don't have an offensive line. So I think there's, you know, the ceiling is is pretty low here. And again, you just get that feeling of it's Bortles. It's Henny. I'm going to make you go 500 to beat me.
1: That's kind of uh, my mentality on it. Hey, it might be Colin Kaepernick by week four. We'll have to uh, play the way. The owner, they asked the the owner
3: that, right? And the owner said, "Eh, if the football guys, it was a cop-out answer, right? He doesn't mind. But he says, if the football oh, sh- guys like it, I'm, I'll am sign off on it. And you know Coughlin is Mr. Old School. He is not going to he's not going to let that fly.
1: Yeah, I, I can't see Cat being a fit down there in conservative northern Florida. But hey, you never know. Desperation uh, can make interesting bedfellows. And when you look at Jacksonville and the state of the quarterback play down there, it's an absolute disaster. So we will keep close tabs there. Uh, to the division, I think that probably for me, Payne, the most fascinating in the entire AFC. Some value relax, in this where one. The Raider... Yeah, I think opportunity. I mean, uh, our, our love affair with the San Diego Chargers, well chronicled here on the Bet the Board podcast uh, and the powder blue jerseys. But we'll start at the top with the Raiders. Uh, their odds on favorites at plus 155 right now up at online.ag. Their win total sits at nine and a half. You do need to lay a price at a $1.25 to go under. They're followed by the Chiefs. A shade better than 2-1. to one. Let's talk about that team last. At pick, we'll come to the Chiefs last then. The Broncos at plus 375. <laughs> projected right now to be a 500 football team. Lay $1.20 at betonline.ag to go under. And the Chargers picking up the rear 7.5 over minus 140. 4-1. One. I don't even want to call them long shots to win the division. Again, I th- you know we look at these teams, we'll get the Chiefs last. But of that other trio, is there one that's particularly intriguing to you?
3: I think from not maybe a betting perspective, but what I want to see with my eyes, it's got to be the Raiders, right? I am really on the fence because from a personnel perspective, there's, there's not much to dislike. They did lose some depth. It looks like, but that's going to happen, right? When your quarterback goes from his rookie contract to one of the highest paid in the league, there's a clear upgrade at running back. I'm not a Latavius Murray guy. And now you have a real power back to complement an explosive offense. Uh, what Carr and company kind of did last year through there was special. They faced the second toughest slate of passing defenses, yet finished fourth in passing efficiency. Where I start to struggle with the Raiders is all the luck that fell their way, right? All the comebacks, they never came up short. They were plus 16 in turnover differential. They were 8-1 and one in games decided by 7 or less. They had 7 game-winning drives. Those aren't sustainable, in my opinion. And when you look at what they were expected to win last year, when you throw all the numbers together, it was 7.6 wins. They actually won 12. And then when you win 12, that means you're in store for a tougher schedule this season. So aside from the Jets and the Bills, Oakland doesn't have another game on the schedule against a team with a win total less than 7.5. You start to tie in the schedule, six trips combined to the Central and Eastern time zones. And then you get Kansas City and Philadelphia in cold December months. It, to me, points to regression. It's why a lot of the sharp guys have gone under. I haven't joined that party yet. Um, But I'm still on the fence. I kind of want to see. I
1: caught it yet. I caught it yet. Yet. I haven't joined that party yet. I'm not
3: there yet. I will say this. Um, I'm not sure how improved the defense is going to be either, right? That's not an elite unit by any stretch. Uh, And in fact, they declined last season, despite having a defensive coach and facing the 21st rated offenses. The competition gets a bit tougher this year in that regard. Uh, I don't love the interior defensive line. They allowed uh, you know, 4.3 yards per rush attempt, and they actually lost some depth there. They did draft two guys. They're gonna have to play an immediate role to savage salvage things there in the middle of that unit. So, you know, defensively not in love with them. Offensively, though, I mean, there's just weapons everywhere. It's it's tough not to like. Oakland, but the schedule gets tougher and they just outdid every single metric a year ago.
1: Yeah, I think Oakland are going to be a fascinating team. People um, and we'll get Dave Mason's thoughts on exactly what they've meant to futures markets because you look around, I mean, this is a team being priced amongst a co-favorite to win the Super Bowl and I remain extremely skeptical. I know we faded Oakland early and often last season and with middling results. Uh, but I'm not sure I want to give them my stamp of approval just yet to be mentioned in the same breath of the Packers, the Seahawks, the Steelers, uh, for teams that have been there, done that, and can cons- can consistently uh, be considered front runners. The Denver uh, Broncos, pain? Oh God! No, no, Maybe no. I,
3: I, I, I was no. I, I think you're you're spot on there, and I don't love the head coach, right? You know, like I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. As human beings, we kind of all evolve. You know, you're probably sitting at your desk listening to this right now, and you know, were you Um, as good your first day in the company as you are, you know, two years later, seven years later, ten years later? No, it's it's part of life. It's part of evolving. So I don't want to completely crap on Del Rio, but I don't believe he's a great coach. He's a defensive guy. That side of the ball continues to regress. That's my only thing here, and I think his identity as a defensive coordinator, you can't have that unit regress. He's really, it just goes to show you the value of having a quarterback, right? And we'll see. You know, the offense is apparently going to lead the way.
1: Well, we've seen it before in this league. A quarterback can mask a lot of your deficiencies on the other side of the ball. And Derek Carr, clearly uh, a guy right now as a contract witness to indicate whose status is on the ascent uh, to be mentioned amongst the elite in the National Football League. This team, uh, they're built entirely on defense because they do not have an elite signal caller in the Denver Broncos. Missed the playoffs for the first time since 2010. Can the defense do enough to allow Trevor Simeon to hand the football off serve as the ultimate game manager with, again, a defensive-minded head coach who has all the weapons he would need at his disposal to make life extremely difficult for opposing offenses.
3: The easiest way to put this is Simeon just wasn't very good last year. Uh, he graded out 30th. I'm n- of I cannot knock a
1: northwestern I cannot knock a northwestern starting quarterback. It's good to see, you know, a man hailing from a prestigious academic university getting a chance to play football at the highest level, Payne.
3: I want my quarterback's mind from Northwestern. I don't want his right arm from Northwestern. You know, that that becomes <laughs> the, the catch twenty two here. <laughs> he was twenty third in passer rating, twenty-fifth in completion percentage. Uh, he didn't get a lot of help from the ground game either. You know, Denver was successful in just 42% of run plays. That's four and a half below league average. Um, they did get help on the offensive line. You, you lure Ronald Leary away from the Cowboys. You draft Bulls, who should be a day one starter. So they did make an attempt to improve the offensive line, get the ground game going. That should take some of the pressure off Simeon's shoulders or so you would think. Defensively is where this team is going to live and die, right? It's an elite unit. um, But we were kind of, and I hate to keep patting ourselves on the back here, light years ahead of the market on a glaring weakness of this defense. And it was right up the gut, right? This Denver defense excels with a lead when they can put their pass rushers, uh, get them up the field. Then the elite secondary knows you have to pass. But when the game is in a neutral situation and they have to stop the run, this defense can really be had. 4.3 yards per carry allowed. Over 46% of runs graded out successfully. And their horse in the middle, Derek Wolf, says he's going to be fine for week one, but about two weeks ago has a significant ankle injury. It was bad. It was one of the worst sprains you can have. There was lig- uh, ligament damage. He claims he's gold for week one, but you're going to want to keep tabs on that. Uh, I know a lot of folks are talking about bringing in Pekko from Cincinnati to help. He's 33 in November, graded out 96th best interior lineman, and he was actually better pass rusher than run stuffer. So it be interesting to monitor that. They do bring in my guy there, Demarcus Walker uh, from FSU. He's dealing with a hip injury already. I think he's a guy that's versatile enough to where on passing downs, you can rush him from the interior. I don't think he's an NFL run stuffer on first down. So that's going to be interesting to monitor. One thing we'll know very quickly is if the issue got fixed defensively when, you know, stopping the run defensively because the Broncos play the toughest schedule in all of football. They also face the second toughest run slate of offenses. So the schedule is an absolute bear this year for the Broncos.
1: And I think we're going to get a good indication of exactly what this Broncos team looks like right out of the gates with that Monday night football opener against the Chargers a team who has really had their number under Phillip Rivers' leadership. The injury issues that San Diego suffered last year, Payne, well chronicled, especially on this fine <laughs> podcast. Uh, so with, frustrating. With our win total. Oh, beyond, beyond frustrating. You watch them look like world beaters and then realize they're going to go out there and cement their fate with a loss at Cleveland. So if we're talking about the Chargers, what realistically is this team sealing if they don't lose everyone again to injury, but they're already dealing with some concerns on the offensive line? Forrest Lamp, the man they drafted, out for the season, torn ACL. You have your center get popped for PED usage, claiming that he wasn't sure what kind of over-the-counter supplements he was taking. Phillip has some weapons. Hunter Henry, I expect him to emerge at the tight end position as Antonio Gates gets up there in age. Uh, we saw what they got in the running game uh, last year. And, of course, Keenan Allen, as good as anyone, when he can stay on the football field. So I asked you this, honestly, you know what are we talking about for the Chargers in their all-girl season playing in the StubHub Center in Carson, California.
3: We can get back to that, but I just want to ask, were we a year early on these guys?
1: I mean, I I don't know if we were a year early. We got bit by an injury bug, but, you know, we may be a year early. We're rarely, and I will say this, we're rarely a year late. Okay. So I think it's sometimes it's better to be early to the party than it is to be late to the party. Uh, There is no FOMO that'll take place around the bet, the board, home base.
3: I have to learn that. I'm, I'm, I'm a fashionably late to the party kind of guy when I decide to party once a year. Um, Everyone's talking about yeah,
1: Wait a second. Wait a second. Over, over, under, uh, you know, pain appearances out at major social gatherings. It's like one, and a, one until, and a half. From you now until December. Th- I was going to say one and a half, and I think there's uh, a little bit of juice if you want to go under that number.
3: And it takes like four days to recover because when I go out, I go out. Um, <laughs> I feel like, again, we were ahead of the curve last year, deserved better. They only win five games. Their win total was seven. They were expected to win 8.2. Uh, they actually led in a ton of games. In fact, they were 10th a season ago in minutes with the lead, but the injury bug hit. They were actually the second most injury-riddled team. They were 1-8 one in one-score games. So, you know, we failed to cash that ticket uh, just based on injuries and how bad they were in one-score games. It doesn't seem like a venue change has, has fixed the injury bug. You know, you're now... Without Mike Williams, hey, maybe they maybe they took the turf with them. Who knows? <laughs> Mike Williams apparently isn't out for the entire season. They're targeting October. But Forrest Lamp, the guy had a man crush on him. that was hoping the Dolphins could somehow get him in the second round. That didn't happen. He's out for the year. Perriman gets injured in the preseason. They're saying roughly ten weeks. When we slip flip to the uh, offensive side of the ball, I, I really like you know what they're going to do defensively overall, though. That's one of the most underrated units. I really like that unit. Hopefully, Perriman can get back. Verrett came back, has an interception in the preseason game, his first game back. Offensively, though, they're going to have to figure out how to incorporate Hunter Henry more. I told you this guy last year was going to be a beast. Man crush on Hunter Henry. Uh, If you're the coach, you got to figure out how to get him in the game more. I mean... He's not playing. It's kind of maddening. I know Gates is still there. You need to get him his record touchdown. Then get his ass to the bench. Like last year, you're looking at these offensive snap percentages. Gates, 55% of offensive snaps. Hunter Henry, 53. That literally needs to shift to an 80-20 in favor of Henry. He's that big body target you can use in the red zone. He really makes life easier for Rivers. You throw to him and it just seems like it's much more efficient Looking at this right now. Phillip Rivers, a 136 passer rating when targeting Hunter Henry. Um, San Diego does see...
1: That's even better than the the passer rating we get around here when I try and target you with these questions. Yeah, that's true. Uh, San Diego
3: does see an uptick in strength of schedule when it comes to opposing defenses, so literally they're going to have to make Henry a focal point of this offense. Keep the ground game going with Melvin Gordon a little bit. Hopefully you're a little bit healthier at wide receiver. Maybe Mike Williams, who was struggling with the playbook a little bit, while he's not physically getting acclimated to things, maybe this time off until October gets his head in the playbook a little bit. Who knows? And that's just an added boost to the offense. But we really do like this team. It's over seven and a half. The question maybe becomes the travel. What do we think? You know, it's a new it's like a new home, right? These are human beings. We all like hang posters on our walls and think they're, you know, not humans, but they're literally in the middle of a move. The drive to work is different every day. The housing situation a little bit different. The facility is a little bit different. You know, you're not accustomed to things. And it takes time to kind of, you know, get in that rhythm a little bit. So you do have that going against you as well if you're the Chargers.
1: Yeah, and honestly, Payne, um, and you can tell me if you disagree here, when I look at this win total and C7.5, I would lean over myself. Uh, if I was going to bet it. But I think there's better value in maybe taking a flyer on the Chargers if everything breaks the right way and this team stays healthy for them to win the division. Uh, I really believe they have that kind of potential. I'm you know, down on the Raiders, uh, much like you and some of the metrics suggest. Um, we look at the Broncos. I think they're a little bit limited offensively. And this next team who's forecasted at nine wins in the Kansas City Chiefs, we know what the Chiefs are. I mean, we know what this team is going to give us week in, week out, and it's one of the highest floors of any team in the NFL, but with Alex Smith as their starting quarterback, I also feel like they have one of the lowest ceilings. They lose Spencer Ware in the ground game. I know you have some strong feelings towards Kareem Hunt, but the Kansas City Chiefs, for me, really don't do it. Now, maybe you feel a lot differently, but I think if I'm looking at the division and trying to take a shot, the Chargers at 4-1, to one, you can make a lot worse investments than there.
3: No question. I think the Chargers in the division are kind of your, let's take a little flyer-type bet. Uh, as for Kansas City, you Four words, high floor, low ceiling. That is exactly what Kansas City is. The way they play, you know, you have an uber prepared Andy Reid who scripts more plays for his mediocre quarterback than most. Uh, that mediocre quarterback just doesn't turn it over. So it seems to be good from week to week throughout the course of a 16 game schedule. And you know, when the team that wins the turnover battle wins the game nearly 80% of the time, you can see how that style is conducive to regular season success. But once you face better teams and you don't take chances, it's tough to get over that hump. And you look at the Chiefs. This is another team that had a lot of luck. 16th in turnover differential. They led the league with eight special teams return touchdowns. Now I know they have very good punt returners, kick returners, but eight? For me, it's hard to see that happen again in 2018. When you start to assess the weapons offensively, you nailed it. Looks like they're going to be without wear for a while. Your receivers are all gadget guys. No true number one. The offensive line, again, is average. Defensively, some questions. You know, um, they had a larger leak than the Titanic up the middle a season ago. And they allowed 53% of runs to be successful. 28th in yards allowed per rush attempt the offenses they face this year are going to be significantly better than last. So if that's an issue, it's going to be magnified even more. Uh, They did bring in Cam Thomas, Benny Logan, who were both better stopping the run than Don Terry Poe. So maybe that helps some. But overall, the Chiefs have a huge, huge sell sign on their head. Um you got to go under here. I think that's probably, when I'm looking at the AFC landscape, that would probably be, be the win total I would suggest to our listeners most. Going over the Chiefs, it is 9 at betonline.ag. Going, go, going, un- yes, going sorry, under the I'm Chiefs. I'm sorry, did mean. I say over? Under. Under yeah. on the Chiefs. Absolutely under on the Chiefs. Uh, shop around, I will say that. There, there's there's some hooks out there that are pretty affordable uh, that aren't priced correctly. Uh, but definitely a sell on the Chiefs and you want to go under so there's
1: no confusion there. A question I asked you, if Kansas City does struggle knowing that Alex Smith is what he is, could we see Patrick Mahomes at some point this season? Because while he may not have the same floor of Alex Smith, he could be the catalyst that if this team is going to take the next step forward, it gives him a dynamic playmaker uh, on the offensive side of the ball at the quarterback position.
3: Yeah, this is complete opposites, right? This is the brunette the girl next door versus you know the hot blonde with with fake bosoms. Um, injury maybe to Smith, or he just can't spell his his own name. I, I think the leash is longer than most think, uh, but it's going to get tested, right? Because the Chiefs have the toughest schedule in football the first eleven weeks of the season. So maybe Casey starts bad, and there's not another option but to go with Mahomes. Uh From what I see, he's so talented. He's probably got the potential to be the best quarterback of this class, but he still does a lot of things that didn't get him in trouble in college that will get him in trouble. He runs into sacks. He leaves the pocket when he doesn't need to. He creates pressure. It's like he doesn't have the best pocket awareness or he's so reliant on his legs that rather than just take one step into the pocket and deliver a throw, He's got to take four steps right or seven steps left or fades into the pocket. And sometimes he just walks himself into sacks, walks himself into pressure, makes throws much more difficult than they need to be. Where you kind of fall in love with him is when things do get difficult, he's kind of a magician from that perspective.
1: Much better arm talent. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, he reminds me a lot, and you hate to create parallels to a Hall of Famer for a guy that's never taken a snap in a meaningful NFL game, but another Andy Reid disciple. Uh, I I see a little bit of Brett Favre in Mahomes' game as far as that gunslinger mentality that's out there.
3: Yeah, and I think that's exactly what they saw, right? You know, Andy Reid is that that disciple, the Holmgren model. You know, they, they drafted Brett Favre there, and so you can see that comparison, and that's exactly... Who they talked about. Literally, they interview Andy Reed and co. right after they signed him in there. They just got mentioning Brett Favre, Brett Favre, Brett Favre. So, maybe that's, that's what we get here with Mahomes. It's going to take a lot, I think. This feels like a kid where he's just got so much talent, but there are a lot of issues. Probably more issues uh, than from a technicality standpoint with his movements, with his footwork, not taking snaps under center things of that nature where he's not quite ready day one as a, a Trubisky or a Watson, but the upside is just so large there with Mahomes. I definitely want to take a conservative approach for sure.
1: Yeah, there's no, no reason to rush a guy who probably will be the face of your franchise knowing what Kansas City gave up uh, to bring Patrick in, and you mentioned it, going from an offense like Texas Tech uh, to playing at the, in the National Football League uh, for a coach like Andy Reid is obviously going to come with the transition Pain, we've kind of gone through all of our win totals. We've shared uh, our thoughts and sentiments on a lot of these teams. It's tried to get. It's time to get another man's perspective on exactly what's gone down. And I think uh, Dave should have some interesting fight tidbits for us as well. Time to welcome in a man who really needs no introduction. He joins us every week here on the Bet the Board podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Mason B O L. And Dave, when we talk about the fight and what it meant to the house in terms of win loss. I have to imagine you've been grinning ear to ear ever since they stopped that fight in the 10th round Saturday night.
2: Yeah, it was a good result. It was, um, I mean, it, it was a, such a great event all around. I mean, so many people were coming to the site, signing up. We had record days and a record day and people coming to the site and getting ready for this fight. Um, so, yeah, it's a great fight. But, I mean, again, we needed, May, we, made it, we needed Mayweather big, and he came through just as, you know, some of us expected You know, the the public was burying McGregor. Mayweather betters were getting such a discount, and it went so much lower than I ever thought it would go. You know, a couple weeks back, I thought the lowest would go was minus 550. But, I mean, we dipped down under 400 before the fight. We were just that far exposed on McGregor. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, my God, how can you – (laughs) give away those odds but if you saw that red number next to it i mean you know you you had you had to get some buyback and we got a lot of buyback but we still had such a big exposure on mcgregor but yeah it was was great
1: and dave you gave us a quick tidbit too talking about that it had more bets on just conor mcgregor alone than patriots and falcons spread bets combined i mean where does this boxing event rank in the history of the company as far as action handle etc and some of the key metrics
2: yeah, um, yeah, that, that was something else. I mean, that was more. Again, there was more bets on Conor McGregor alone, or just on him to win, than the Patriots and the Falcons combined last year for the spread. Um, so that you know that just tells you how much action was coming, in, especially on McGregor, the McGregor props and McGregor to win, et cetera. As far as uh, it, we did the biggest fight prior to Saturday night was was uh, Mayweather against Pacquiao. And we exceeded that three times. We we went over three times the bets and action and everything. So we knocked it out of the park. As far as all events, I mean, Super Bowl still king. It, it was about just over half the total action of this past Super Bowl. And this past Super Bowl was our biggest Super Bowl ever. So, um, yeah, it, you know, but again, a Super Bowl, as we discussed before, just has so many different ways to bet that. You know, we had three, I think like 450 props last year, and everybody's pounding those props. And you know i think we had about 40 props for this Saturday night 40 or 50 props so and then you had teasers and the money line and the points spread for the Super Bowl so yeah i don't know i saw some people saying they did more action than the Super Bowl I, I i find that hard to believe but you know for us it was like over 50% which is still a massive amount of action we're we're very pleased
3: <clears throat> Dave that's a good segue as we transition to this show's mission we're talking football Specifically with the AFC, what are you seeing in the way of sharp win totals, uh, square win totals, things of that nature? Any liability?
2: Yeah, of course, on? there always is. <laughs> uh, the public, <clears throat> our two biggest liabilities we have, it, it, this kind of tells you a lot how these these go. 70% of the action is on the Jets under and 60% of the action is on the Pats over. So the public's p- backing the worst team under and backing the best team over. So those are the two biggest public plays. As far as Sharp, Pats are on the under 12 and a half at plus money. Like I said, the public's on the over. The Colts got bet a lot. They got, and this kind of a little unique. This had a lot to do with Andrew Luck. I mean, before the news about Andrew Luck, about about preseason went out, the Colts were getting hit under eight and a half at plus 140, down to plus 130. Then when the news came out, the Sharps were still hitting the under. At plus 100, I think it's still 8.5, plus 100. And now it's 8. We moved it down to 8 under, minus 135. So Sharps were all over the under before the news on Luck and even after. KC, under 9.5 at plus 100 to minus 115. That's been moved down to 9 flat. And the Chargers, uh, they got hit early at over 7, minus 130 and minus 140. But now that it's moved, oh, no, it also got hit at under seven and a half at plus money. So we moved up, and it also got some sharps hit the the plus money on the under. And now with all the injuries and stuff and all the issues they're having, it's still at seven and a half under plus money. I think it's at under plus 120 right now. So that's mostly sharp stuff uh, for the wind tolls and the public action.
3: Staying on that course, what does it look like for sharp square division futures, conference odds, and, and Super
1: Bowl
2: futures right. of that nature? Uh, divisions, exposures. <laughs> this is always fun. The Browns. <laughs> hey, Deshaun <laughs> guess,
1: Kaiser, he might be, you know, yeah. the, the second coming in Cleveland. You never know.
2: Could be, right? Now yeah, the Browns. Everybody's like in a twenty five to one on the Browns to win the ASC North. Uh, Titans are a popular bet all around. And the Raiders are a very popular bet all around. Sharp stuff. There was some early sharp action on the Chargers to win the West at plus 1, 475 rather. Bet count, again, Titans, Raiders. um, Those are our biggest bet counts. Uh, You know, the Browns, they're not high bet count, but just that 25 to 1, that exposure adds up fast. Uh, Super Bowl, you're talking about exposures on (laughs) the Jets, the Browns are their biggest but again that just has to do with that big number everybody's looking for the lottery ticket and the Texans is another big exposure although that has been reduced a lot of that came out early when I remember months back when where's Romo going to play and everybody thought he was heading to the Texans so we got to hit a lot back then, and that ran up the exposure pretty big, but that exposure since has come down we're in a red a little bit, but not that much. That was our biggest exposure for months. Uh, Bet counts, no, no surprise here, the Patriots and the Raiders. People are all over the Raiders. Sharp, uh, Chargers at 50 to 1. Uh, they're down to 45 to 1. Raiders at 40 to 1. They're down to 33 to 1. <clears throat> no, excuse me, sorry. Titans at 41 they're now 33 to 1 and also the Titans to win the AFC at 20 to 1. They're down to 18 to 1. So there you go.
1: Dave, I will say and you know I don't like to make guarantees because I don't think it's how we need to do things in this business, but I feel pretty confident saying that liability figure you have going to the Jets won't give you sleepless nights as we get deeper into the NFL season. Now we mentioned how big the weekend was last weekend at BetOnline, and folks obviously getting out to deposit. Clearly, there may be some folks that didn't take our advice and bet Floyd Mayweather in the fight. So, for people that may be new to the shop or looking to reload just in time for college football's opening weekend, uh, what kind of promotions are available for them?
2: Head over on, over to promotions.betonline.ag/slash/bettheboard. We have some uh, deposit bonuses there for you if you're a first-time betonline.ag user. Use promo code 75BTB for a first-time 75% welcome bonus. If you already have a BetOnline.ag account, but you have not used the Bet the Board reload code yet, use promo code 50BTB for a one-time 50% sportsbook bonus. Once again, all the terms and conditions and details can be found at promotions.betonline.ag slash BetTheBoard. Remember, read your terms and conditions if you hit me up on Twitter saying there's a rollover on your bonus, well, yeah, there's a rollover on the bonus. Please read the terms and conditions. Thank it you very always, much. It always
1: pays <laughs> to do your it's, due diligence. We're not
2: we're not yeah, we're not just giving you seventy five dollars on top of- you're not in the business no, of just no, handing me no, we'll out a business by tomorrow. All right. <laughs> there are terms and conditions, guys. Please read them.
1: Oh, Dave, always great getting your perspective. Busy week for us here at Bet the Board. We'll get you back on Wednesday to talk a little college football week one. Uh, back on Thursday as well for the NFC preview. In the meantime, good luck with the rest of the week. Football here for real, my friend. And folks can always yeah. follow you and keep tabs on everything. Dave Mason, a BOL. Have a good rest of the week, my friend. All right, guys. Take care. Payne, I always get a good laugh when we talk to Dave and we talk about liabilities and futures, what have you, and he mentions the Browns and the Jets. We know how quickly you know some of those figures get in the red for teams that offer long odds. Uh, but I'd be curious to know, like, how many people are actually going to the window trying to bet these teams thinking that they have a legitimate chance to try and cash that ticket?
3: The same guys that were betting McGregor on Saturday.
1: Oh, do it, do it, do it, do it, say it. The the same guys
3: that were betting McGregor on Saturday are betting the Browns.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's funny because it's true that folks go out there, they want to try and find that one quick score. Uh, I guess on the flip side, I don't think uh, him talking about the Raiders and Titans being somewhat popular amongst the betting public or the Patriots uh, really comes as a surprise. No, and he was spot
3: on with the information. I'm not going to be able to do it, but there is some significant sharp money going under 12 and a half on the Patriots. And I'm sure they're feeling a little bit better, you know, today not having Edelman on board. So certainly sharp, no doubt about that. I'm just not going to be that guy.
1: And I was poking around a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the highest win total we've seen in the NFL going all the way back to the Patriots in 2007. I don't trust, I'll be honest, I don't trust some of the history that I have available to me as far as win totals, but I'm trying to remember if there was a a 12.5 or even a 13 that we've seen in recent memory. I have
3: not seen a 13, no. So 12.5 would either tie for the highest or be the highest. I don't think I've ever seen a 13, and I could be way off, but I have not seen a 13 ever.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either, and I can tell you I don't think I've seen a lot of three and a halfs on the other end, let alone for two teams in the same division.
3: That's an interesting dichotomy Um, there.
1: When we talk about you want, I mean, uh, we're going to see some interesting numbers, uh, no doubt, involving the Jets and with the Patriots. I mean, that number ballooned out to I think what it was seventeen last year when those two teams met late in the season. You may see a bigger tag there. So, from an investment standpoint, I know we've kind of uh, tipped our hand a little bit. Feel most comfortable in going under on. uh, the Alex Smith-led Kansas City Chiefs yeah, this season. Chiefs
3: under. That would probably be my favorite of the batch.
1: Chiefs under. And, of course, we will be back with you on Thursday with a full complement of NFC Nuggets as we preview a conference uh, that, for me, adds a little bit more question to the equation with no clear-cut front runner there. We mentioned it at the top of the show. Registration now available for our first ever Bet the Board NFL football contest. You can register there, bettheboard.footballcontest.com. Sign up with your Twitter handle. Be sure to follow Bet the Board Pod on Twitter to be eligible for those prize pools. More details forthcoming in the next couple of weeks. But we're real excited to try and find a way to give back, uh, as Payne mentioned earlier. Self-funded. You know, we're digging into our wallets, taking some of those winnings from last year's football season and reinvesting in our listenership. Swag will be on the way as well, so you can show your love and allegiance for your favorite sports betting podcast out there. You can follow Payne on Twitter at Payne Insider, you can follow me on Twitter at Todd Furman, and you can follow, of course, Dave Mason at Dave Mason B-O-L. Payne, any final words of wisdom on the AFC before we close up shop? And go right back to the drawing board to prep for uh, college football week one and the Wednesday debut. Wednesday,
3: that's that's close, that's close. (laughs) No, I think we're good. We touched on all the teams, you know, from a market perspective. um, Broke down a lot of their metrics, so I think there was a ton of good information here. Again, Chiefs under, and the biggest thing is this contest. Sign up for the contest.
1: Tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your family. It's, Get it's everybody effectively
3: involved. a free roll. It costs nothing to join, and I can tell you, I'm not a cheap human, so this is... I mean, We're going to be dishing out some money here um, for this contest, and there will also be weekly prizes. We haven't quite figured out what that will be, but it could be a mix of swag and a mix of some gift cards, whatever it is, but the prizes are going to be awesome for a free roll, for sure. It's going to mimic a pick-five contest. You pick your best five games against the spread, Every single week, there'll be a leaderboard there for you see. There'll be, you know, weekly updates via email. And I think we're going to have a little fun with how we distribute the weekly prizes. Teams that go 5-0, oh, I guess, we're going to kind of raffle them off, put them in a little lot, so to speak, and, and see who, who wins the weekly prizes. So there's just a lot of fun stuff with this contest. It's going to be the best contest on the internet with the largest prize pool for a free roll, no doubt about
1: it. And we'll add add some wrinkles throughout the course of the season. Uh, As we said, we appreciate everything that all of you as loyal listeners that have been with us for three-plus seasons, willing to embark on the journey for season four. It is a labor of love around here. And if you're not sick of pain and myself just yet, oh, trust me, you will be when we get into full podcasting mode With two NFL pods a week, a college football. College football, though, will be a little bit of a a difference maker uh, as we have some major, major guests to help lighten the workload there. But in the meantime, enjoy what you have of the college football slate as you start to prep there. We'll be back with you on Wednesday for college football, Thursday for the NFC. In the meantime, should you be chasing baseball or any other sport to try and cash those tickets, hopefully we'll see you at the window.